Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive into companies that are crushing it with a great culture. And we also bring in resources to highlight ways that companies can improve their culture. Today is actually really fun because both of our guests and both of our companies, I would say you guys kind of fit into both of those spaces, right? Growing a company with a good culture but also absolutely counting as a resource for companies. So I'm really excited for this pairing today. I try and be really intentional about who we bring on the show, and I think this is going to be a really fluid and awesome conversation. So the two lovely gentlemen that I have today in the studio with me is Centauri Miner, the head of strategy from Evolved MD. Welcome. Hello. Side note, I love your title. That's fantastic. I need that title. Um, And then virtually today, we have Brian McComack, the CEO and founder of Hummingbird Humanity. Hello, hello, hello. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so excited to have you. That's the part that I love about all of this is we get a little bit of both worlds, right? I have somebody in the office, in the actual studio with me to chit chat and, you know, be in the same air. But then we get to bring you and others in from all over the states, all over the globe. We had someone from Colombia a couple months ago. We have nice. someone coming in from Germany, I think next month. Very nice. Right? It's so an it's international podcast. Yeah. So it's it. a cool way to kind of bring everyone. So, Brian, I'm. Fun fact, s- I grew up in Germany. <gasps> oh, wow. Did you really? I did not sprechen Sie Deutsch, though, but yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's more right there than I know. So. <laughs> This is awesome. So, yes, Brian, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Centauri, I'm so excited to have you in the studio with me. So, obviously, this conversation today is all based around culture, improving culture, growing culture, all of the resources and, you know, the things that we need to improve it. A lot of that has to do with what you guys are doing. So, Brian, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about you, what you're doing, and Hummingbird Humanity, how you started this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Kendra. And I want to answer three questions that people might have, or actually one of them I want to, first I want to say, hi, Kendra's mom. I hear you're listening. So we (laughs) want to make sure it's important. My mom was just here this past weekend and I had to make sure that we celebrate the moms because we couldn't do without them. So (laughs) I love you. I'm going to get a text message as soon as this is done. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And second, I did grow up in Berlin. Uh, My dad was in the military. uh, So um, we can come back to that if there's anything relevant later in the conversation. Um, And then third, I wanted just to acknowledge you were talking about having a virtual person and an in-person person. And when I think about culture, one of the things that I think is so often something we forget is those people that are virtual mm. um, can often feel like they're not included or left out. And you, before we went live, Kendra, you said, I'm going to start with you because you're virtual. And I think that's a good example for us as leaders of how we can include those people that are joining remotely when some of the people are in the room. Start with those that don't feel like they might be in the mix. So let's start with one tip and then I'm going to talk about Hummingbird now. So I'm Brian McComick, founder and CEO of Hummingbird. Hummingbird Humanity is a uh, firm, a consulting firm that focuses on bringing to life 
uh, human-centered workplace cultures. Mm. So a big part of the work we do is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we also do um, work um, in employee experience uh, surveys and uh, culture strategy. So we really help organizations think through how they create workplaces where humans thrive and infused by perspectives on humanity in the workplace and diversity, equity, and inclusion and well-being and social impact. So we try to bring all that together when we're working with our, our clients uh, that invite us in into their spaces and, and are saying, hey, please help us. We, wanna, we want to do something uh, that uh, is, is great for our people and they believe in the value of that. We also have a speakers bureau. So we, um, our mission is to amplify the voices of the unheard. So we um, have a collection of wonderful humans who are willing to share their personal stories, um, are you know, professional speakers to know how to get on stage uh, or, or virtually in a Zoom room to share their story and also can connect their lived experiences to how um, those stories and understanding the lived experiences of others can make a difference in workplace culture. So that's a little bit about us. Um, oh, and I should mention I have a book coming out on humanity in the workplace. Ooh. So I'm sure we're going to talk Ooh, about that at some point. But, but there's a book and I wrote a book and I still can't believe I can say that. So <laughs> just a, a little, a few things about me. That's awesome. That's another check in the box right there. Yeah, it's so, you know, it's so exciting. And actually I should, I, I say I wrote a book and that is true. And I try, for anyone who's thinking about writing a book, if you have Centauri or Kendra, if you're, it's on your radar, I realized I'm not a book writer so I engaged someone who is a book writer to be a ghostwriter, um, Kristen Clark-Taylor, amazing, amazing woman and human. And so she helped me bring that to life and I couldn't have done it without her. I love that. And what is the premise of the book? Sure. I mean, I can um, guess. Yeah, thanks for asking. So, you know, I've spent... So my career... Um, started in movie theaters. I ran movie theaters uh, with AMC theaters for 10 years. Wow. And then I moved into human resources and I worked in, if you can name it in HR, I've done it in one way, shape or form at some point in my my career. Mm -hmm. But the really the, the theme is uh, around uh, organizational change and company culture. Uh, and, you know, DEI became part of that work uh, when I was at the Walt Disney Company a few years ago. So, you know, this book is an amalgamation. When I should mention, I guess I forgot this part. How did I did that? Forget this. I'm a gay guy. I'm gay. And I also have three invisible disability identities. I'm HIV positive. I am battle anxiety and depression. And I'm sober. So those are experiences that have, in moments of my life, helped made me feel marginalized or othered. Uh, certainly, it's uh, they're different than the experiences of a person of color or a woman or a person with a physical disability. But I try to use those experiences to empathize with others and um, to use my privilege as a cisgender white guy to within the spaces I get invited to, to ignite change. And so the book really sort of brings all of those things together, how workplaces didn't feel like they fit me and um, how I think we can do better, you know, from the perspectives of someone who has experience as an HR person, as a DEI person, and as an organizational change and culture person. I appreciate you for bringing us into not only, you know, the story and your book and what it's about, but also identifying these three areas that are these invisible areas because we talk so much about diversity and inclusion and, and all of that. And people think that it's a male, female color thing. And it's not. It's not oh. at all. There's all of these other pieces that are components of it. And so I appreciate you bringing that up because I'm sure that'll that'll loop into the conversation. But in this studio and in this space, we've had this conversation about um, DEI a number of times. And 
it really incorporates and includes so many other facets and pieces that people do not understand and do not consider. So there's a lot of those pieces and I appreciate that about you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah the other thing that I just might offer is the way that we do the, our work at Hummingbird is based on certainly um, the collection of my experiences, which I've just described. There's a, another piece of the puzzle, which I want to acknowledge, which is, and some people aren't going to like what I'm about to say, which is uh, that uh, HR people generally aren't equipped to do DEI work, and they generally aren't equipped to do the the very personal, emotional work that is required in DEI conversations. Mm-hmm. By the way, DEI people are generally not equipped to do HR work mm-hmm. and also typically don't have a deep understanding of organizational change and um, how to dr- how to drive an evolution of a company culture. Mm-hmm. So they, those two groups need each other. Um, and I actually think there's some better ways that we can do this work. The other thing that I'll, I'll say, though, is um, so the book sort of talks about that. And when we do our work at Hummingbird, which is, which is you know, helping to inform the final edits to that book, we try to start with this, well, what I believe is DEI has largely focused on shame, blame, and guilt as a way to ignite change. Just mm-hmm. in case anyone was curious, shame, blame, and guilt are terrible ways to ignite change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we try to start with shared humanity, building shared humanity that allows for people to build bridges of trust. And those bridges of trust open the doors for us to understand each other's lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And when then we can start to say, you know, in Centauri, I'm, I, I, we haven't talked about how you identify. I'm going to make an assumption seeing you that you identify as a Black man. So if we build a, you know, a, a bridge of trust with what we're, you know, we have a shared passion around culture. And then I can say, hey, Centauri, what is it like for you as a Black man in corporate America? Because I can talk about what it's like for me, but I want to understand what it's like for you because I want to be part of the change. Mm-hmm. But we start from, let's let's find where we connect and what we share and then open the doors to the things that make the world different for us. I love that. And there is that space of finding connection and finding that area where we both do understand something and then learning about the other sides. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, you can tell I have no passion about this whatsoever. <laughs> I love Just it. In this, case. this is why I have you both here, because I know there's passion that's going to come through. Okay, we're going to dive more into some of the things that you were talking about, Brian, but I want to switch over to Centauri. Centauri, I want to give you the chance. Tell us a little bit about you, your background, and how you got into this role as the head of strategy. Uh, with Evolved ND. Yeah, and uh, uh, second everything that Brian says, I, I, will, I will offer these two things. So, uh, Brian, on the AMC front, I, if you did not know, know this about me, I at least see two movies in theaters every week. Every yes, week? Yes, yes. We have yes, to yes, talk yes. afterwards. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Uh, I so haven't I am, seen a movie in a theater in months. Really? Yeah. It's my form of self-care. I'm always in a movie theater. I, I love, love it. That. I love it. So I'm in uh, a theater. I will see Honestly, anything. Like anything. I'm like, I'm I'm down. By yourself or with other people? Um, I typically try to go by myself, okay. actually. I'd really like the experience uh, alone, but with a group of people is fine. You just don't want to share your popcorn. I get it. That is also true. Okay, that is also cool. true. So that's something. And then I will offer on the identity front, I identify as a gay man. Uh, I've been out since I was 13 years old. Uh, and we can talk about that journey if you guys would like. It's uh, I find it fascinating. So... Had a strategy for Evolved MD. Uh, Evolved MD, we are a company that integrates behavior health into primary care. So what we do is we embed a therapist right there on site where you would see your doctor uh, and work collaboratively on kind of whole person care for any given patient. Um, so I've been with the company. The company has been around for five years and I've been with the company for two years as the first uh, non-clinical hire. Um, we have a bunch of 
great, great uh, uh, therapists and clinicians. I am not one of those folks, but I'm happy to support and empower them. Uh, and in my role, it's really been um, kind of figuring out the how do we go to market with the the, the product? How do we build the strategy around it? Um, how do we talk and articulate it? Um, uh, marketing and branding's under me too. A lot of things that uh, Brian talked about, which is how do you build a culture from the ground up, and how do you be really thoughtful about putting people first, and how does that either conflict or support uh, the bottom line business objectives? And uh, that's something that we're candidly still trying to figure out right now. But it's a it's been a great journey. Uh, and I came to the role. It's actually interesting. So before this gig, I um, I ran sort of a CEO consortium uh, here in Phoenix, Dallas, and in San Francisco. So got purposeful CEOs together to talk about big issues of the day, uh, curated content, facilitated experiences, uh, and did a lot of advising on what I called everything social good. Um, and so one of the CEOs in that consortium uh, sat me down about two years ago and was like, hey, I'm growing this company, Evolved MD, and I'd love uh, I'd love for you to come over and join me. And so he poached me from it. And it's uh, it's been a great ride ever since. But I'm, I'm super excited to talk about everything culture, everything DEI, and this mostly how do we support people in their roles to make sure that they're thriving in the workplace and beyond. Especially in your space, because you're supporting a lot of different angles, right? You're supporting literally the mission of what you do is supporting people in their whole self and not just yeah. segmenting doctor, therapist, and that kind of thing. But then also taking care of your employees and your staff. Some of them are clinical, yes, yes. but they're doesn't mean they're going to take the same actions that they're telling other people oh, no, they to do. Not. do. <laughs> um, I actually was lucky enough to be at the open house that you guys had oh, yes. a few weeks ago. You had Bobby from, oh my gosh, the, there's a long name, yes, Southwest. Institute for Emotional Intelligence. Yes, yes, that is it. And I was one of the very few non-clinical people in that room. But it was interesting because all of the questions were coming from these, these clinical people that focus on, they were their role is literally helping other people with yeah. mental health and things like that. But they were the ones with the questions. And I'm like, oh, so yeah. they're not doing these things either. Yeah. Like, what is happening, right? They're asking the questions on how to help each other and how to help their friends and themselves. But they're also the ones that are yeah. supposed to be what we find, and I'm sure um, when you have a, a group of very compassionate folks, it's oftentimes they do not take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done intentionally at Evolved MD is make sure that there are things in place that we not only encourage, but really incentivize them to take a step back and say, what am I doing for myself? Mm -hmm. Because I can't take care of my patients or my family or do the impactful mission of this work without taking care of myself first. And it's an ongoing process of just education and encouragement of, we know that you want to help everyone and we, you know you know you want to give 110% to this job because it's, it's who you are as a clinician, but you have to take care of yourself. And it's such an interesting thing for them to learn and keep learning mm -hmm. um, as someone who's, they're experts in it, except for when it comes to like doing it themselves. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. What are the, some, what are some of the examples of things that you guys do? Oh, yeah. Um, and I can, I, I'll send this blog so you guys have it in the show notes. So um, we had our CEO kind of pen this open letter around um, good culture drives good business. And we talk about how we incentivize our, everyone in our staff, so not just the clinicians, everyone on our staff on uh, self-care. So we bonus based on that. So at the end of, or at the beginning of every quarter, uh, you'll sit, managers sit down with their direct reports and say, what is the thing that you want to do or name that's going to be your self-care for this quarter? Um, and it can change each quarter. It could be there for the year. So it'd be, hey, I want to go to the gym three times a week. I want to take a walk 10 minutes a day. I want to go see a movie once a week, or I want to do yoga, whatever it might be, or I want to read a book, or spend more time with my kids, whatever your self-care thing is. We name that, we memorialize it, and then we check in on that to make sure you're doing it. And if you are doing it, 
then you receive a bon- a self-care bonus. So you actually literally get money in your bank account for doing these things. And one of the other pieces of that is we also want to make sure that clinicians especially understand that these are things that you can do during your day and we actually block out time for them to do it during their day. So there's an, mm-hmm. uh, an hour a day that you go spend doing self-care and whatever that might look like to you. And we also want to make sure that we rewrite the narrative that self-care is not a spa day. It can be not a spa day, anything ex- expensive. It could just be literally sitting in your office in silence or talking to a friend or taking a walk or uh, reading a book at your desk. These are all things that help you refresh and rejuvenate. And it's those things, whatever it means, what's ever meaningful to you is your version of self-care and you should do that. Um, and so it's been really cool to bring it, folks into the organization who um, oftentimes we get so many people that like that. We, we don't believe that this is true. We've, I've had a lot of companies that say they care about culture, uh, but we do it right. Um, and oftentimes mm-hmm. we make sure that um, our it's a lot of uh, relearning or re-education for managers and supervisors. And I'm like, this is this is how you this is how you engage with your employees. This is the evolved MD way. And we're um, constantly iterating and going um, going through that. But it's been fun to be on this side of it just to see how well taken care of our employees are. Yeah, what a cool... And were some of these steps already in place when you got there? Were they already... Yeah, so um, the, the co-founders are really intentional about understanding that clinician burnout or just burnout is a real thing. Yeah. So what can we do uh, to kind of block in the middle of the day or encourage people to just if we if we can kind of push uh, push the hand to make sure that they do it. So those things were already in place when I was there. And I was just able to help kind of better refine, um, articulate it, and then better understand how to operationalize it across a, a larger company. Yeah. Because yeah. it's one thing to tell people, take care of yourself, do self-care. It's another thing to actively support yep. and allow that time during the day and allow yep. that space during the day. Um, and I appreciate you saying that it doesn't have to be a big spa day. I am learning... There's a couple but can of can it things. be as big spa day? Yeah, oh yeah, can. if you want it to be. I love a good spa day. Yes, yes, go. Right, go we'll to the schedule spa. the spa day. Centauri and I will go to the movies. Exactly. But it can it can be things I'm and I'm learning in this space. Um, actually, one person who has helped me learn a lot about this is the woman behind the buttons today, our producer, who's the owner of this studio, Karen Nowicki. She has helped give me some light in some of this because I really did think like it was, okay, well, I have to spend a whole weekend at the spa and then like catch up on my life (laughs) in two days. But I'm learning there's some things. And before we went live, we were talking about the movies, right? With Centauri going to the movies. And I'm learning there's stuff from me that's self-care that isn't necessarily by myself. Hmm. It's with other people. It's things that are active. Culture Crush is sponsoring a kickball team this season. And... I That's love it. Awesome. I've never been a sports person, but I'll tell you, I love it. I love the team. I love the people. And that to me is a type of That's good self-care. self-care. That's wonderful. I'm active. I'm, you know, with good people. So I'm I'm learning that, okay, these are things. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> these That's good. too. But yes, Brian, the spas count. What are you? I was going to say, Brian, what, are you, what do you do yeah, for what's self-care? what's your type? Yeah, it's such a good question. Well, first of all, I give you credit for doing kickball because I played the kickball once. <laughs> the it is kickball. surprisingly hard. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's so hard. And I was like, I feel like I, I, I mean, I don't generally think of myself as athletic. And then I really didn't think of myself as athletic. <laughs> okay, so let me clarify. I am also the catcher on the team. 
because we practiced a couple weeks ago and I was like in the field and I caught the ball at one point. I'm like, what do I do with it? <laughs> now Everyone's what? like, Kendra, you run. I'm like, oh, this isn't really my space, guys. So I'm the catcher. So I talk shit to people when they come up to kick and then they, that's how I, that's, that's my role in all of it. So yes, the kickball is hard. Yes, Brian. The kickball, yes. <laughs> I, I borrow that from Glennon Doyle, who I love and adore when she talks about the soccer. So um, what do I do for self-care? Well, and I love, first of all, I love this conversation for so many reasons. You know, we actually at Hummingbird talk a lot about mental health and about the importance of, of protecting our mental health and taking steps that we need to take, whatever those are for each of us individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually just released, uh, I think in May, a guide about for a called mental health and well-being in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So we can make sure we share that with you, Kendra. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feel free to share that, share that out. You know, one of the things that I, well, first of all, I'm going to acknowledge I'm not so good at the self-care and uh, it's, you know, that's probably been one of my biggest, uh, you know, Achilles, well, I guess my biggest Achilles heel in my, my career. My, if my sister were here, she would be nodding her head furiously and saying, Brian is great at, you know, at work and he succeeds and he's great at showing up with his friends and family and community and all those things, but forgets to take care of Brian. Um, and actually two summers in a row, I've had this in July, I've had to like completely check out of the business, like on like Good. a moment's notice to say, Hey, I got to go. Mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. So I want to get to the place where it's not so like last minute. It's a little reactionary. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> yes. Proactive and not reactive. Yeah. So, so I, so, you know, and I talk about this with the team because I also want, you know, people to know, like, you know, to get, have permission and uh, to take care of themselves and to do what's right for them. So I, I'm actually actively working on a self-care plan and a few things that are, are part of that. So one, I've been going to therapy once a week um, for, for, since the beginning of the year, I used to go a lot and then I stopped and I started to go back. Something that the team has said to me, which I think is really cool, is I put it's on my calendar. Everyone in the company can see my calendar. And one day, a few months ago, they're like, We love that you put therapy on your calendar, Brian, because it gives us permission to go to therapy. I'm like, Well, I, I love that. Like, I didn't know that that was what I was doing. Um, and some days I put a walk. I have a neighbor, sometimes he and I take a walk. And so I put that on the calendar, and they've said the same thing to me. One of my colleagues, another leader on the team who's a woman, put her mammogram on the calendar to say, hey, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, we should do this. And so we're, you know, I think the leadership team is embodying that, which mm-hmm. is, which is great. I'm auditioning for the South Florida Gay Men's Chorus on Saturday. Maybe I should, shouldn't have said that until after I got accepted. But, uh, <laughs> Yay, exciting. we could say good thoughts. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is so that I'm on your calendar? To yeah. I sang with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus for a number of years and I've missed my chorus community. So it's time to get back. And uh, that's so fun. Um, so the holiday concerts in December, I'll send you the dates, fly out to Fort Lauderdale, come see us. Awesome. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. What else? The other thing that I had gotten away from that I'm spending I'm because I, you know, with my therapist, I've been talking a lot about finding community here in South Florida. I, I was a, New Yorker before the pandemic. Mm. And then I was a nomad during the pandemic. And then I landed in South Florida. So trying to find community and connection here. She's like, you know, you're sober and you could go to 12-step meetings. So I'm now going back to 12-step meetings on a regular basis, which is a wonderful, wonderful community uh, that I I was remiss in not tapping into earlier, but now I am. And uh, I've already made some great friends in the last, just the last few weeks, which is great. Brian, one of the things that you talk, uh, you touched on that we are really intentional about as a leadership team at Evolve MD is kind of normalizing these things. So all of us, all of, I think all of the all of the members of the leadership team are currently in therapy. It's always on our calendars. And going a step further and encouraging uh, those on our teams to say like, hey, this seems 
we're really intentional about our one-on-ones, and uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how much um, I've pushed in our organization about psychological safety. And that means having a conversation with a direct report and say, like, hey, this seems like something that you need some work on, and it has nothing to do with work, but maybe work on yourself. And so I'm encouraging you to go seek out therapy, and you can take time out of your day to do that. Uh, and it's so important for them to hear a leader say, oh, wow, you can do this. But also, Centauri, I know that you're in therapy, and how's it helped you? And having those very candid and open conversations are just so important. Uh, and then we're also really, we've created a culture at least, or at very much at the executive level of being very, very transparent and real with each other. So I can, someone can say like, Centauri, I know that you're not showing up as how I know you can, what's going on? And it's like, well, I haven't been to therapy in a couple of months. It's like, oh, sh- I should probably do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having a, a place where people really understand you and are very, very open, forthcoming and transparent about their own struggles. And that way they can be that same way with you. So we all show up for each other in, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen in another company mm-hmm. because of how much we push this culture around self-care wellness and just taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, I want to just offer two builds. So one thing that um, we did was so being a fairly small firm, we're two years into life at Hummingbird Humanity. I only have uh, so much leverage on our benefits providers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so our um, benefits coverage for mental health is is nowhere near what I would like it to be, which is not uncommon across yeah. corporate America. By the way, no one that- says... It's something we got to fix, right? (laughs) Um, uh, And there's, and then providers who take the healthcare coverage and all all the things in between. Um, So we added for all of our full time employees, they get a monthly stipend um, Mm. so that they can have um, some dollars to put towards their healthcare. So it's a mental healthcare stipend. So that's something that the COO of the company said, Hey, Brian, can we do something? And so we made that happen. Um, So I'm really proud of, of that effort. You know, the other thing, which is sort of a twist on what Centauri, you just shared, um, but I think it's equally important when you talk about the, particularly under the the, the umbrella of psychological safety is uh, we actively and I actively encourage everyone at the at Hummingbird to tell me if I got something wrong, to mm-hmm. raise some concern yep. to me. And like, I will acknowledge, I used to be a human, as many of us are, who didn't like feedback at all. Feedback can be super uncomfortable, even if it is a gift. And now I'm like, I love it because I because now I know what's happening and mm-hmm. what people are feeling because then I can say, oh, well, what I meant by that was this, or I'm really sorry, I completely got that wrong and I need to do better and I apologize. And if I need to apologize to a person or to, to or if I need to do it in front of a group of people, whatever it is, I'm happy to do that because mm-hmm. um, I just want to make sure people feel good and feel safe and and. I know I don't know all the things. I need those people. I need the people on the team to to bring those things to me. I'm also just struck by the fact that we're having this conversation. And I'm like, most CEOs that I think I've worked with would be like, this is not what we talk about at work. And I'm like, we have to talk about this stuff at work. So Centauri, I love that you're creating a culture where you talk about this stuff. And it's something that I think bonds us at Hummingbird that we just acknowledge that we're real humans. How does that start? Like if we have somebody listening right now and they're like, oh yeah, right. I could never bring this up to my leadership. How does that start? How does that transformation begin? If either one of you had to give guidance or tips or anything, where does that come from if it's not already built into the foundation of the company? I think, one, it has to start from the top, right? So you have Mm -hmm. to have your executive team kind of walk the walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a great, uh, and I've been doing, uh, roadshowing a presentation called the... um, uh, the business case for mental health. And one of the things in there is around a lot around psychological safety. And there's this really cool uh, graphic that shows like six questions that you can do to foster uh, psychological safety within a, a company or any relationship. And one of them, Brian, is that the question is like, what am I doing to hinder our success as a company and your success as an employee? Mm-hmm. And that is such an interesting question to get feedback on from your direct reports. Um, but it's so good. But I do think it's 
having a kind of a framework of that. And then I don't know how to be, I don't know how you would start this, but there just has to be trust and transparencies for, because I, I would not recommend actually doing that if you have a toxic cult. Like there, if someone's going to um, penalize you for speaking your truth, then like obviously there's some workplace things that are going on and I wouldn't actually suggest that this exercise because you just can't do it. So first there has to be trust and safety among the larger team, but to a, a, a bigger conversation around what does culture look like? Like, what do you want your company to be? Do you want folks to be collaborative? Do you want there to be opportunities where the executives and even the CEO can say, I'm not perfect? If the answer is yeah, then build that. Uh, but I do think that uh, to your question, Kendra, it takes a while. It takes intention. And I do think that it's a lot, a lot of companies just aren't there yet. I, I think people want to be, but I do think that just takes a complete overhaul. And for us, we were luckily started by a founder that came in with that idea of like, mm -hmm we're going to be human first, we're going to be people first, and then build a team below. So when we we hire, uh, when we look for partners, all those things come into mind of like, are you going to be good to work with? Are you going to be good to our people? If the answer is no, then we're not going to do it. But um, if you've already, you know, 20 or 30 years into building the company, it might be very, very hard to decouple. Uh, not impossible, but but hard. Yeah. And then I think it connects to um, when we're talking about topics that might come up in the conversation today, the psychological safety was mentioned, and you mentioned earlier, oh, we'll come back to that. So let's come back to that because I think it ties in with this. So what is psychological safety? It's come up in a, actually a handful of conversations in this room and on this podcast lately. But if you had to say what it is and how, you know, for both of you, how you've embedded it into your company's culture. Man, uh, just, I think it'd probably be <laughs> like, that's hard. Providing the space for people to be their authentic selves, I think mm -hmm. is psychological safety. Like um, there's a lot of pieces around feedback and understanding as a leader or um, as a manager, having having it be open so they can give any feedback that they want and m making sure that they know that they will not be uh, penalized or it's just, it's a data point and thank you for sharing and what can we do with that? But also parts of psychological safety are like, how can I best support you? How am I, sh how can I better show up for you, team member, company? And then well, there's a question and I'll send uh, over that graphic that has the six questions, which is like, what are some gifts and skills that I'm overlooking that you think would be valuable to this? Which is also very, very interesting. It's like, in my personal life, I, you know, am a podcaster or, or a DJ or something. It's like, that's cool. I need to know that so we can kind of do that in your job. And that makes you show up in a much better and happier way. And so it's just, I think, psychological safety is letting people be their authentic selves, not penalizing that, and then also figuring out how you can best support those folks and um, mostly just being open open and honest and transparent about everything in the company. Mm -hmm. Brian, I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I know the actual definition yeah, of I know, psychological I know, I'm safety. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I feel like I need to Google right now. Yeah. And so yeah, definitely Google it, Kendra, and see how, <laughs> how well Centauri and I did. This will be like, a, let's check the knowledge of the experts. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, so ditto to everything that Centauri said, uh, the, the the first thing that comes to mind for me, uh, which is a version of, of what has already been shared is, it's that you know that it's okay to say, I disagree. Uh, to actually Ooh, be in a room and say, good. yeah, like, I disagree. I have yeah. a different point of view and I want to share that because there's so much fear about dis particularly disagreeing with the boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I value those moments. Like, please disagree. Let's have a conversation. And and that's, you know, the corporate America taught so many of us to to be yes people. And uh, and so that's, and that's 
that's counterproductive to the concept of yeah. innovation or inventiveness or agility to meet to, to adjust to the marketplace, whatever's happening, or to engage diverse perspectives. Like that is the antithesis of what I'm trying to bring to organizations. Yes. So we want to make sure people can use those voices and and share their perspectives. So that's the that's really the first thing that comes to mind for me. I love that you said that about being able to disagree, though, because yeah. that is huge. And I can say from my experience, I've been with companies and leaders that were great and growing a great culture and ones that did not. (laughs) And in those did not situations, um, I can say that there was not any level of psychological safety. Like you, you weren't going to tell your boss, no, that you didn't agree. The definition I just looked up, there's a couple, but the one that kind of keeps popping up the most says psychological safety is a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. Risk taking. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of that. Yeah. And, you know, something we try, we've done at Hummingbird that we're using to try to model this. And, you know, the reality is different people are more comfortable than, than others, but we have, um, my team is is trying to get me to share my voice more than others, so they're going to be glad that I'm here today. <laughs> you know, as I've mentioned earlier, our, our mission is to amplify the voices of the unheard. My voice as a white cisgender guy gets heard a lot, um, even as a gay white cisgender guy. Mm-hmm. So I try to make sure that we really stay committed to that. But, you know, it seems like, Brian, people got to hear from you. So they wanted me to write a blog. And so I said, okay, cool, I'll write a blog. It was terrifying at first, but I've gotten comfortable. And now that I've gotten comfortable with the blog, I'm okay with the book coming out. But the first week of each month, the blog comes out and it's my blog. It's my message on the point of view on whatever the topic is. And then the third week, approximately of each month, a member of the Hummingbird team writes a response blog. Um, So they can double down on what I've said. If that's what they agree with, they can say, I think Brian's a crazy person. We try not to use the word crazy. Uh, We think Brian needs to think about some things. (laughs) differently. And here's what I'd like to, like to offer Brian and uh, or offer as my point of view, or here's just a whole nother lens on this conversation that's different than Brian's lens. Uh, and the very first one of those blogs, uh, which was, I think we released it in March, um, Ben Green, who is a member of the Hummingbird team, openly transgender man, really amazing human. There were some things that he didn't like and he shared about them in the blog. And I first read it before it went out. I was like, can we do this? Is this okay? I was like, well, that's the whole point of the blog. So of course we can. And I love that Ben knew that it was okay to say, hey, this is what I wish Brian had done differently, because that is exactly what I'm trying to model. And it, and his message changed a couple things and influenced some decisions we made after that. So that's the kind of the whole point is to show that we can have that conversation and learn from it together. I love that. And, and we- that you are opening it up to your team to allow them the chance. It's not just, hey, we're going to hear from Brian, but then people get to see the other views and the other responses from your staff as well. It gives them the opportunity to not only speak their voice, but just be involved. We've talked about that a lot when it comes to Mm. culture is just the involvement of your team and their ideas and their opinions. It goes back to that conversation of DEI. It's not just hiring some people that look different. It's actually utilizing their voice in intentional ways in the company as well. So I love that you're you're doing that. You're allowing them that chance. And Centauri, going back to what you were saying about knowing your staff, knowing your people, you know, there might be some people out there on your team that are like, oh my gosh, I really love writing. Yes. And you're yeah. giving them that opportunity to share. But then there also might be those people of like, oh shit, I am so scared to write. But you're giving them the chance to get out of their comfort zone. And yeah, and 
and there's two, I'm sorry, there's just two things I want, yeah, that I wanted to share, which is um, one, because I'm hearing you talk, like we, because um, some, I'm, I'm going to guess that someone who's listening is like, I wonder if Brian's paying them to do this work. They get paid. <laughs> uh, so they get paid for their time because a lot of our workers are, are part-time. So they get paid for their time mm-hmm. um, to do this work. I, and and, uh, and if they are not comfortable writing, we have a communications expert that will help them through the journey so they don't have to do it on their own. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure they feel safe in the journey and that they feel like they can represent their message as best as possible and that they get paid for their time and their wisdom. Because so many times we ask mar- individuals from marginalized communities to be part of these conversations without paying them mm-hmm. and they get paid. It's important. And we always we always want to advocate for that as well. And just getting to know, so Centauri, back to what we were talking about earlier of getting to know your team, getting to know your people. And then Brian, like you saying, actually taking that step and showing that that's valuable and you're providing them money or Centauri with you guys, you're providing them that time in the day. It's not just, hey, make sure you do self-care. We're going to hold you accountable but then we're also going to make you work a 60-hour week and not have time no. No. to do self-care, right? That right. that balance and supporting. You I just love- sparked a question that I have to ask Centauri. Yeah, go okay. for it. Go for it. We're seeing this quiet quitting message oh, yeah. out there. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm like seeing all these different perspectives on what quiet quitting is. And I saw Mina Malik, one of my friends earlier, she posted, she's like, quiet kidding, quitting is just basically people who are burnt out, overworked, and unengaged. So I'm curious, just particularly with the space you work in, Centauri, what's your take on this quiet quitting Ooh, That's a good question. And yeah, and I've been trying to wrap my head around it for um, the last week. Yeah, I think that how people are putting it, which is like quiet quitting is just people just doing their jobs and not going above and beyond. And I think one on burnout, but I also think there's this kind of, and I don't, I hate making it generational, but I'm going to make it generational. There's also a generation of uh, of people and rightfully so that are like, I'm not going to do what my parents did, which is work 80 hours a week. Like that's never going to be my thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. And so I'm going to work the 40 hours a week. That's part of this. And that's all I'm doing. And I think people are putting that in the quiet quitting of like, these folks should be going above and beyond. And people are saying, no, this is the job you pay me for. And this is all I'm going to do. And that's good. Like, that's really, really good. I think the the employee engagement, you know, that's, uh, I mean, we could spend an hour on that. For us, it's always checking in to figure out like how we ask every, every and, and it should be operationalized. But in our company, we do um, every one-on-one that we have with our direct reports that has um, at least two questions, which is, one to 10, how are you doing professionally? One to 10, how are you doing personally? And with the psychological safety, people are very candid in that and saying like, hey, I'm at a four professionally because I am overwhelmed, I'm overworked. And it's like, that gives you an opportunity as a manager to say, where, where can we reprioritize some things? Where can we take off your plate? Mm-hmm. And I think inter, uh, intentional interactions help get ahead of that. I'm, But to your question, Brian, I'm proud of these individuals saying like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stress myself out for a job because I, one of the things I always try to tell young professionals is that like, you can love a company and I, and I, this is probably going to be taboo, but like no company is ever going to be truly loyal to you. Mm-hmm. So don't like, don't sacrifice your mental health or your physical health for a company. Cause at the end of the day, they're going to do what they have to do. So this quiet quoting, I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's not a trend that I like, it's not something that I, I would, I would do, but I can appreciate the folks that they're, they're doing that because they're just, they're over it and I get it. They're over it. And that's fine. And I yeah, think, I, I think there's a I, part of it too where you mentioned the 80 hours a week and the where I'm going to do my 40 hours a week. Even the 40 hours a week thing, I've had this conversation a couple of times with folks and sometimes I get agreement <laughs> and sometimes I don't. But 40 hours a week back when my parents were working, that was, you know, it was 80 hours working in a mine. Okay, well, then unions were put into place. So then you had 40 hours, but they also didn't have the technology and the tools that they have mm-hmm, nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
I can do in probably 20 hours what used to take somebody 40 hours to do. So it should allow a little bit more of that balance of that self-care and that family and not this, okay, my 40 hours, I'm just going to check the box and, you know, this yeah. quiet quitting thing. The, the 40 hour thing, I get caught in it sometimes yeah. because we have so many things and tools and technology at our fingertips now that we're streamlining stuff way more than these 40 hours that we used to have. And people get caught in that box and, and it should be. And I think it should, we should allow for more kind of flexibility for everything. Yeah. Last week I had to send a text to my, to my direct report. So it's like, you don't have to ask if you want to work from home. Like, it's like, stop emailing me. <laughs> like you're, you're adults, like figure it out. If you want to take the yeah. day, like I trust that to your point, you're getting your work done. I can see that things are being posted. I can see comms plans are being made. So like, do whatever you need to do. And I think that's more of like what we should yes. do as, as leaders as, and as managers. Like if you can figure it out in that time, go for it. Like I, who am I to tell you what to do? Right. Yeah. Or if you need to do it at 4 a.m. in the morning or you need to take a break in the middle of the day, go pick up a kiddo and then come back. And but obviously there's some jobs that have to be done at a certain time. If the Starbucks barista is not there, I'll be very sad. <laughs> <laughs> she should be there at that time. <laughs> but we know Kendra's priorities. Now. Yes. <laughs> yes, all of the coffee shops. But yeah, allowing that support and allowing, like you said, your team to not have to check in on, can I can I do it here? Can I do it here? Hey, can I take a dentist appointment? Um, some of these jobs were adults. Their job done. If it took you 30 hours, I'm not going to know if your and job's done. Brian, I wanted to get your, I wanted to hear your yeah, take on the quiet quitting. Oh, wait, I have 17 things I want to ask you. Okay, to go. No, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just wanted to hear your response about the quiet quitting. Yeah. What, are you, what are you feeling about it? Oh, yeah. Well, I think actually what I hear there is that that there's a lack of psychological safety to have a conversation about yeah. what I need at work. Yes. Um, because it's okay to say I need to work, you know, whatever. Ex like there's any, the world today provides us so many different options for how we can define the boundaries of work um, and, you know, when work happens and where work happens. And so, I, you know, I think it's like, I do think that there's an engagement question there. And I actually yeah. think, but I think it starts with a psychological safety of, I have to quiet quit because I can't have a conversation with my boss about what's realistic and possible for me or yeah. what works for me. And that changes over the course of our lifetime. You know, there are times in you know people's lives where they need more of a boundary between work and life and times that they're more in the, I'm just, I'm here because I'm focused on my career and what everything in between, right? And I don't think we should have to choose along the journey. I think we just have, we should be able to have conversations and solve it. Yeah. And I, I do love the idea of, um, it's coming from this, this place where you feel that folks can't talk to, um, their, their managers or whoever their boss might be about like realistic expectations. Uh, someone on my team who runs all of our content maybe two weeks ago was like, and he was very nervous about asking. He was like, hey, there's just so much. Can we punt these things to September? And I was like, yes, like that's that's always coming to me with this. Nothing that we're doing is has to be put out tomorrow. So if it's causing you stress, then it's totally fine. Let's punt that. And he was like, you know, I've never been in a place where one, I would be able to be open to say that because I'd feel like I'm a failure if I can't get all this stuff done in a given time. And I'm like, that's just not, it's like not possible. Mm -hmm. And we should always have these conversations where you, and now I actually do um, morning huddles with my team where I, my first question is like, where can I help you prioritize? Where do you need coaching? And what decisions that you need made for me? Uh, and it's really illuminating to say like, hey, I can't get to that this week. Are you good with that, Centauri? It's like, yeah, I'm good. Like, unless it's mission critical, we're we're good. You can punt that. And having that, those sort of conversations, I think 
gets ahead of the quiet quitting, right? Like having those conversations all the time, you know where your staff is, you know where the, the initiatives in your company are, and you can have these good conversations that keep people from on the side being like, well, I'm just not going to, I'm just not even going to do it. And then whatever happens, happens. So again, more so the psychological safety and being transparent and being very open and vulnerable with your team. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, a lot of that, that quiet quitting is happening with these companies that don't have a strong culture like both of you are forming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, I also think the other thing I was just going to offer, good sort of back to one of your questions, Kendra, around how do you start this culture? I think one of the first things is just a person to person is if you want to engage someone else and allow them to be vulnerable, you have to start by being vulnerable yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where trust is built is in those one-on-one interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really agree with Centauri's advice though. If that's not your organization, then you got to do what's right to protect yourself first. Um, but I hope you get to work in an organization that you know can can allow you to be that 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 person and and be that vulnerable. At Hummingbird, we also have an executive coach. So I've had um, an executive coach who works with each of us as leaders individually and us to like collectively as a team as a team. And she considers herself part of the leadership team. And her role is as our executive coach. Um, and so like I've never been a CEO before. So I know I'm going to get some things wrong. And so she's going to help me see things I don't see. And she's going to help the leadership team who are also in roles they've never been in before to feel confident and feel supportive. And 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 also she can facilitate dialogue between between the three of us that, you know, we grew we all grew up in worlds where taught us, taught us not to have this conversation. So as much as we're trying to create this culture, I also know we need help. So we're asking for help. And so many of us don't do that. And having an executive coach that in itself is huge because you admit, right? You're like, I got to be transparent. I have to show you say you've never been a CEO before, right? It's a, it's a learning process for all of our different roles and all of our different Um, positions that we're in supporting a team or, you know, if you're not supporting your team, but maybe you're a manager and you're a first-time manager, or maybe Mm -hmm. you're not, but you want to move up to that, right? We all need that support when it comes to professional growth, personal growth. Centauri, that's why I love when you have these one-on-ones and you ask about, okay, where are you feeling professionally? Where are you feeling personally? All of that, they cross the line, right? They're all mixed in together. But having an executive coach for your team, that's beautiful because you're showing, okay, we need support. We need growth. We, we're lifelong learners. We have to be. Yeah. I lo- There's something that you just said, Kendra, which goes back to a question that I wanted to ask Santari a moment ago, but I want to double down on something you said, because I think it gets, it's the, actually the, the core of why I wrote my book is workplaces view people as a resource that are, and we typically define the way that the, the the framework around those resources as robots. They're like, here's your box. <laughs> you need to sit in this box and you need to do these things each day <laughs> and you need to not have emotion and you need to perform at 110% all day, every day for 40 hours a week, except for the week that you take vacation. When you take vacation, you better plan for every minute out while you're out on vacation. There better be an answer for every question that might come up while you're out <laughs> on vacation. Like there's a strategy to go on vacation. We forget that we're humans. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I say that when I started my first job in corporate America, I learned that I, I knew that I had to take off my code of emotions. Like I had to put it on a hook. Nobody told me to take off that code of emotions. I just knew that I couldn't bring my emotions with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is who we are as humans does come with us to the workplace. Absolutely. And, um, and we just don't talk about that. Um, but you know, the thing that I was thinking about with this quiet quitting though, so I love that, that conversation. So we could go down that path, which is interesting, but I'm also thinking about this. The boundaries are, have shifted so much with technology. Um, and so like, you know, the nights and weekends, like, you know, 
text and email and all of the different devices, Slack, we use Slack at, at Hummingbird a lot, they can invade our personal time. So I'm curious, how are you managing that in a, in a workplace focused on self-care and, and mental health? What, how are you managing those boundaries? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and we are one of the, and it, again, I will preface this with this might not work for, and probably won't work for every company, but we actually have a mandate um, that we, after five, no one in the company sends emails or anything around, uh, anything around work. So, and that starts at the top. Uh, mm-hmm. to everyone. So you will not get an email from me after five, maybe 5.30 if something's up, but like you will not get an email from me after hours. You will not get an email from me from on the weekends. Uh, none of my direct reports have emails on their phones and you have to just be, when I first came into the organization, I was like, how can this possibly work? How can people get things done? And it works, right? Like it works and everyone does it. And it's something we've actually put out to the market with our customers. And so our director of sales, when she came on, she actually sent um, an email to a customer on a Sunday. I think she was when she was new. And she always talks about the story where the customer then wrote her back on the CEO. And she's like, and she called her out on it. And our, our customers know that we're not available yes. after five. Our people know we're not available after five because we want you to be with your families. There's nothing. Uh, and of course, things come up where if there's media or something like you just have to. But for the most part, our team's really diligent and we call each other out. And um, I think the other piece is that we, we encourage people to have those boundaries. I report to one of the the co-CEOs and he pretty much mandated, and I was in San Diego a week, two, two or three weeks ago, like mandating that your team members go on vacation is like a thing. Like everyone's like, you you will go and you will be off and you will not answer emails and you will be away and we'll, we got it covered. And having that, like having that ethos in a company is just so important. Uh, but having, we're very, very, very clear about the boundaries. I don't think most people even take their laptops home. Um, I do because I oversee, you know, our P, PR and media and there's just some things, but there's no, and we're, now that we're in it, we're like, why would you need to send an email after hours? Like, there's nothing that can't happen within the workday. Um, and so I think it actually takes a lot for people to just shift their mindset of like, this isn't urgent, this can wait. And I know a lot of people, for if I do have to do something, I I, I, I put it on the um, the timer so it doesn't go out until oh, 8 yeah. o'clock in the next, next morning. But I even try not to do that because after being in this role for two years, I say, I can confidently say there's very few things that need to happen out, out after 5.30 p.m. It just doesn't need to happen. But I know that people work in, you know, different time zones and across different countries. And that part is where it would get very, very sticky. But I still think you can make some boundaries or like, I'm not available during this time. And, and, and then stick to those boundaries and let make sure that everyone in the company knows those boundaries. And even for our, in our case, our customers know that too. Which I think is excellent. It's not only everybody on your team knows and understands, and then everybody in the company knows and understands, but that you are vocalizing and that your customers know this. Yep. I love that your customer <laughs> called, called out. out your staff. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love that as another tip and something to add into the mix of all of this. Um, we only have a little bit of time left. No, I, no, we have to. We have to episode two. <laughs> no, we one hundred percent. This we have is to. my least. The last ten minutes is my least oh, favorite because no. I have about two hundred thousand questions <laughs> and comments <laughs> and ideas and things. Um, so we'll definitely have to do another one. But I do have a couple of very intentional questions that I always ask and bring up at the end. So we've talked a little bit about both of your companies and how they can be resources, but also how both of you are growing very intentional cultures, right? One of the things that I always ask my guests, it's really out of kind of curiosity, but we'll always get a little extra meat that comes from it, is I always ask if you could describe your company culture in one word what would it be? <laughs> so I 
I let both of you know I was going to ask you this question. So Brian, I'm going to start with you. If you had to describe your company culture in one word, what would it be? Human. Human. Yeah. You know, it, and it really is human in so many ways. I think the thing that the leadership team in particular would, would talk about this, that I've really indexed on culture and humanity and the things that I felt like were missing from my career and my experiences in so many of the workplaces I was in. And, and I worked with some really great leaders in great workplaces. So this is not like I had this terrible career. I, I, have, I had lots of good experiences, but I also think that we can do it better. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really have focused on that humanity and that and the culture of allowing us to be just our authentic selves and acknowledging that I'm a human who makes mistakes and that has mental health stuff and that sometimes that stuff gets in the way and I need to take a break and, and that I'm learning. Like I'm a CEO who's learning. I didn't do this job before. So I really try to lean into that stuff. The part, the balancing act though, this is the part that the leadership team and I've talked about a lot is What I sort of put aside was some of the clarity on expectations and accountability, Mm -hmm. thinking that those aren't part of a human-centered workplace. Um, Now, by the way, in my book, I do mention (laughs) that they are part of a human-centered workplace, but Mm -hmm. I hadn't fully embraced it yet. And actually, the the thing that I I am trying to remind myself is... Uh, I want to know what success looks like for myself. Um, The people that report to me, they want to know what what does Brian expect? Mm -hmm. Nobody is a mind reader. I don't know how many times I've said (laughs) that in my career, (laughs) that people aren't mind readers and they need to know what's expected and they need to know what they're accountable for because that provides some comfort, that provides psychological safety, it provides the clarity. And and then people might say, I'm going to opt out. Like, that's not my thing. Um, And that's okay too, right? Everyone has to choose what's right for them. And if I can't define it for them, then I've, I've, I've missed something about, being respectful to them as humans. So that's something that we're trying to to work on and make sure that we infuse in that humanity proposition. That's really cool. That is cool. And if you, you know, you work and you're intentional at working with your team on the expectations and the accountability, then you're supporting them being humans, right? Because at the end of the day, we're humans, right? Sometimes, like you mentioned, maybe it gets in the way or maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, we're we're humans. That's that's the reality. So if we can communicate with each other, understand each other, and then also come together for the common goal of the company and the mission while existing as humans. Um, you know, you guys will you'll loop in the accountability piece. I know you will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think Centauri's questions are better than the way what I'm about to say. He has a whole list of them, which I'm going to go back and listen to this and be like, I'm going to ask those <laughs> questions. Um, but one version of that is, yes, so you have some responsibilities that are, uh, that, you know, you you are confident about 80% of these and these other 20% you're learning. How can I help you learn those? What do you need from me? What resource do you need? I'm happy to, I'm happy to make those investments. Mm-hmm. So we have those conversations because I also want people to feel like they have the support they need to be successful. So it's not only just, hey, you need to do this, but also how do I help you be successful? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Brian, when I first met you, I watched you in a session with People Forward Network, right? And it was and Dr. With, Ophelia Byers. Yeah. And with uh, Brian Moore was the moderator. Mm. And I actually, I just pulled it up. I have a note in my phone of what he said during that. He said, remember to love human beings, not human doings. Mm. Yes. Humans. I love that. Right? I love that. Okay. Centauri, if you had to describe your company culture in one word, what would it be? Uh, my word was inclusive. Uh, and I mean that because we... Um, 
we are very thoughtful about including and elevating and empowering all the voices in our in our company. I think um, some people might think we ask for too much feedback, uh, but we genuinely want to know everyone, like, what are your thoughts on these big decisions? What are your thoughts on some of the things happening in the market? And so we want everyone to, one, show up as their authentic selves, but also leverage their authentic selves to help us craft what this company should be. Um, I think what has been really cool about our especially our executive team, is that it's so diverse, like racially, um, at, at majority female. Uh, there's different, like, so, like, everyone came from such different backgrounds and experiences. Mm-hmm. And when we get around the table, uh, it's a beautiful thing of seeing like, oh, I would have never come to that conclusion about this big strategic initiative because I just don't have that context, but you do because of your lived experience. And also, it's really cool how we, um, and this is something I should have mentioned earlier, how we as an executive team manage conflict. And it's with uh, psychological safety, but there are times when we just, to your point, Brian, like I fundamentally don't agree with that. And I want to understand where you're coming from with that. And I want to understand how you arrived at that decision. And then when you bring in the, when you include all these voices, you're like, oh, okay, gotcha. Then I'm, I'm okay with that decision. And having Having it okay to have conflict um, and having it okay to say, I just disagree and I want to learn more about why you came to that decision uh, Mm -hmm. has been really great. But I do think our company um, will continue to make sure that um, inclusivity is part of our ethos. I think we've become so successful because there have been so many different people around the table Mm -hmm. and that we ping um, everyone from our most junior employees to the top executives about like, what are your thoughts on this? Or am I... My favorite question is like, am I thinking about this right? Like, give me some feedback, guys. And having those people's voices not only be heard, but oftentimes even implemented their ideas. It's um, it's great for the culture. It's great for morale. But it's also people feel a sense of ownership that mm-hmm. they wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think uh, inclusive would be the word that I'd pick for EvolvedMD. And I love that you end with that it allows that opportunity for ownership as well. It lets everybody have a part. It's not just, hey, the CEO said this is what we're doing or this is the, you know, the marketing plan or whatever. This is what we're telling everyone. It's everybody else having a little bit of input in that. I love that. With the last few moments, I want to give each one of you the opportunity to tell us um, any last thoughts, updates, what's going on. Brian, we know you have a book. I know both of you have a podcast that you're on. So I want you both to tell us a little bit about those podcasts and also how folks can reach you. So Brian, I'm going to start with you. Awesome. Um, Yeah, for keeping up with Hummingbird and Brian McComick, the best place for me is to find Brian McComick on LinkedIn. And my last name is spelled M-C-C-O-M-A-K, which I'm sure you'll find in the show notes. Uh, But I like to spell it because it's an odd spelling. And then for Hummingbird Humanity, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. On Instagram, you get to see Bosco's Biscuits. Bosco is my dog and he shares stories about how you can be an inclusive human. So check out Bosco's Biscuits. I love that. We actually... We're planning out our social media calendar for Culture Crush, and we grabbed one of the Bosco's biscuits, and I was, I didn't even know it was him. So that's really cute. Oh, I like yeah. that. There's a whole story about <laughs> Bosco, uh, which we don't we don't have time for, but he is a beautiful soul, and so t- definitely check out Bosco's biscuits. Um, oh, I love that. We'll and if and, and if you like what I had to share today on this podcast, uh, you can check me out on the People Forward Networks. Gut Plus Science podcast, which is hosted by Nikki Llewellyn. Nikki asked me to be her diversity, equity, and inclusion commentator. So the second Tuesday of every month, I release about a 10-minute episode uh, with tips on how to be um, an inclusive leader, how to create a culture of, a, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, or how to just t- take care of yourself in this journey as you're trying to make the world a better place. So check it out. I love that. Thank you. And Centauri, what about you? If you want to follow, let's see, um, EvolvedMD at EvolvedMD.com, where we do a lot of thought leadership and curated content on 
LinkedIn and my uh, 24-year-old marketing coordinator just got us on the TikTok. So follow us on that. <laughs> the TikTok. <laughs> the TikTok. The TikTok. Yeah. And uh, seriously, if you're, a, um, if you're a business leader, a business owner, go to EvolvedMD on uh, LinkedIn. We have a lot of really good resources and articles that we post about just how to in- infuse this into your own culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, um, find me on LinkedIn too. Um, Instagram, I post some pretty hilarious things. Uh, and then also uh, CentauriMiner.com just has everything there um, pretty easily. So yeah. And then we were talking then right before podcast. we got on this. So I've uh, had a podcast since 2016 with my good buddy, shout out to George Grombacher. Uh, it's called Figure It Out. You can find us on um iTunes and Google Play. Uh, we'll be going back to recording some sessions uh, later this month. So um, yeah, it's just us talking with guests about how they move from awareness to action, and it's a it's a it's a good it's a good way to one stay in touch with a good, good friend, but also to have some really deep conversations. So uh, we'll be restart that at the end of this month. I love that podcasts everywhere. If you have a long drive, a short drive, whatever your drive is, we have podcasts to cover everyone. I love it. Thank you so much to the both of you. I, and whether it's Daryl in the studio or Karen in the studio, they have heard me say this about 10,000 times, but these conversations get deeper and richer and just more and more authentic with the stories and the conversation. And I never know the direction they're going to go in. And at the end, I'm in love with the direction that they go in. So thank you to both of you for being on the show and being your authentic self and sharing so much about you and how other leaders can have these little bite-sized tips of how they can grow and grow their company culture as well. So thank you to both of you. Thanks for having us. This is awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. Centauri, it's nice to meet you as well. Very nice to meet you. I'll be in touch. Uh, some things that your, uh, your company is doing, we might want to see how we can partner or bring you guys in. So I'm super excited to talk to you soon. Uh, ditto, ditto. I have a list over here right to my <laughs> side. So yes, <laughs> look forward to that conversation. And I have a couple clients that I think are going to want to meet you. So perfect. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll chat. Perfect. So we will have those conversations coming. Absolutely. For everybody else, thank you for listening to this podcast. As we mentioned before, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. Culture Crush is a growing company. We are the culture improvement resource that supports companies and leaders with improving their culture. Our purpose here is to truly improve that culture because we believe that people should want to go to work. They shouldn't just have to go to work, right? And then work those hours and check a box at the end of the week. So thanks everyone for listening and we will see you again next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.